0: Hey, everyone. For the next two weeks on the Christian Formation Podcast, we are going to be discussing baptism, and we're actually going to be interviewing someone today who has a different belief on baptism than our church.
1: Yeah, there's kind of two main views uh, of baptism. So this week, we'll uh, look at paedobaptism baptism with our friend Kyle, and then next week, we did an interview with a guy named Bobby, and he's going to explain more of our view, which is credo-baptism. So uh, just by way of preface into this whole conversation so you're clear on what we believe. Um, we would say that baptism is a sign of the new covenant of God's people. And we would look at um, both in Jeremiah as well as Hebrews 8, it talks about how the new covenant people of God are a people that have the spirit inside of us, that um, have been saved by Jesus and have a forgiveness of sins. The law is not external, but it's now written on our heart that that's what it means to be a part of this new covenant. And the sign of that is baptism. So once you actually enter into the covenant by a profession of faith that you believe in Jesus, then we as a church will baptize you based on that profession of faith. Now, Kyle's going to get into a view that we would disagree with, but I think what's helpful is that on a lot of things, as you'll probably find out, we're very, very close, um, but we just have little disagreements on, on certain things. But I think it was a helpful conversation to talk through, and hopefully it's encouraging.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of the pastors at Providence Church, and Kyle McClellan, one of the pastors at Grace Church in Fremont, Nebraska. The goal of this podcast is to help you live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. And today, we're discussing pedo baptism Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Christian Formation Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. Kyle, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, all the way from Fremont, Nebraska. Uh, you
2: know, it's a, it's a long drive. What <laughs> it can you feels say? like a long way away. You know, it's better now with the bypass. It's I don't have to go through Valley and Waterloo and all the other unnamed little towns yeah. between... Here in Omaha, so it's it's nice.
0: Yeah. Well, we have Kyle on here to talk about infant baptism, but before we even dive into that, how do you and Andrew? How would you guys get connected?
2: Yeah. So I think we met initially through the preaching meeting at City Light. Do we talk about City Light here? Is that okay? <laughs> we can't. Okay. About City okay. Light. okay. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make want to make named. sure that wasn't like he who must not be named. <laughs> no, we love City Light. We're so part the of City mothership. Light. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. But yeah. So we used to do these like staff preaching meetings right. for the upcoming Sunday, and you. Had just gotten invited in, is that right? Just to come and yeah. Hang out? Well,
2: some of it was we were talking about um, we were talking about the Simeon Trust workshop coming, and Gavin and Chris were both kind of interested. And I had Chris actually in my small group the first year, and Chris was like, "Hey, we do this thing every week, but like it's not as it's not as punchy as a Simeon Trust small group, and we really need it to be." Mm. Can you come and do that? And I think that's how we got introduced. Yep. Yeah. I would have been. You were an, intern. an intern. Yeah. You point, were an intern just like, kind of sitting in the corner. Like, I, I didn't don't know. Anything. Don't call on me. Yeah. yeah. That's true, <laughs> <honestly>. oh, <what laughs> I'm just trying to sit here being really ridiculously good looking. Don't, don't call on that's me. That's exactly please. right.
1: That was the thoughts every week going through my mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Kyle, thanks for joining us. We are spending the next two weeks talking about baptism and looking at two main views, which is pedo-baptism and credo-baptism. So, Kyle, your, could you explain pedo-baptism and credo-baptism?
2: Yeah, so the, uh, those two words are compound words, baptism being the easy part of the the equation to understand Pedo simply means child and credo is simply creed so the question comes down to who is the appropriate subject for baptism and there are two main views to that credo baptists would say that baptism should be administered only after someone has made a credible profession of faith they've <laughs> they've owned the creed of of the jesus way paedobaptists baptists however would say that no uh, the children of believing parents should be baptized now to be to be honest uh baptists are also credo baptists if an adult comes to faith in one of our churches a presbyterian church and they've never been baptized we would baptize them on the basis of their profession of faith.
1: So you would classify yourself as a paedo-baptist? Yes. And we would be at Providence credo-baptists. Even though we disagree a little bit, what's helpful is to have your understanding here. And so I think what might be helpful, Kyle, could I give you just a a few random rapid-fire questions just to kind of set the stage a little bit for people that maybe are new to this paedo-baptism idea or if they just have like kind of a faint picture of it?
2: Andrew, I'll take baptism for 500, please. (laughs) Great. Okay, number
1: one. Do you believe that baptism saves babies? No. Okay. Do you believe that baptism takes away the sin of a baby? No. Okay. Do you love and trust the Bible? Yes. Okay. And is your whole argument for baby baptism centered around the stories and acts about household baptisms? No. Okay. So here's why I think that's helpful. Because I think those are common misconceptions that people will assume that anybody who baptizes babies think that it saves babies, it takes away their sin, they're not really getting their arguments from the Bible, or they kind of cherry-pick some stories, and they say, okay, this is why we do it. So with that being the stage, I think a lot of what people— Maybe assume when they think of Pado Baptist is more of a Roman Catholic view. Is that would you say that's kind of true, especially in our? I think it's true, and particularly
2: in Nebraska. Um, so, Fremont, for example, it's a town of roughly thirty thousand people. Given the greater Fremont metropolitan area, the Catholic Church claims half the households in our city. And then we have six Lutheran churches of different stripes and varieties within our city limits. And if you go out into the county, that number of Lutheran churches doubles.
1: So this is not going to be your view specifically, but give a little bit of an understanding of the Roman Catholic or maybe even Lutheran view of pedo baptism Yeah. So
2: the Roman Catholic view is, is far easier. I think the Lutheran view is harder to kind of wrap your hands around. And if you think about what Martin Luther was doing in the Reformation, Luther wanted to move away from... the the roman catholic church but his idea was to kind of reform and purify the roman catholic church it wasn't to start this whole Mm. new gig Mm. so it's kind of like roman catholic but it's not yeah right and trying to really put your finger on that can be hard at times but the catholic view to your earlier questions uh the catholic view holds that there is this inseparable link between the sign uh, baptism and the thing signified salvation and so, when a child is baptized, uh, two things happen. One, the, it is salvific. So, they have a sacramental view of grace that saving grace is imparted through this sacrament of baptism. It's also mm-hmm. imparted on an ongoing basis through the celebration of the Mass. Mm-hmm. They would also hold that that's where original sin is washed away. So, baptism in the Roman Catholic Church has, has uh has two functions. It washes away original sin, and it also imparts salvation.
1: Yeah, so they're tying the idea of baptism to the salvation, but you're saying that's, so that's not your specific view. So you can still baptize infants, but that, that is not your view. So give me a summary then of, of how you understand uh, baptism. Yeah, so
2: Reformed Presbyterian view um, comes about, and there's three questions you have to ask And by the time you answer those three questions, you've kind of predetermined where you're going to fall on the credo-baptist, paedo-baptist spectrum. Uh, The first question is, when you think about the relationship between the Old and the New Testament, do you think of that primarily as a relationship of continuity, or do you think of it as a relationship of discontinuity? Mm. That's the first question. The second question is, in the ordinances, we would say in the sacraments. I think in your tradition, you would say the ordinances.
1: Yeah, I, it kind of depends. But yeah. yeah. Some people would use both.
2: So in baptism and the Lord's Supper, who is the one speaking? Hmm. Is baptism in the Lord's Supper an opportunity for the recipient or the person receiving it? Is it their opportunity to say something about their relationship to Jesus or in baptism in the Lord's Supper is God himself speaking to his people? Uh, by the way, it's the, uh, in terms of how we would answer that question, it's one of the reasons why we don't do in, in Presbyterian Reformed traditions, we don't do baptism or the Lord's Supper apart from the word of God being preached. So if the sacraments are a visual representation of the gospel, We still need the word of God to define, describe, give meaning and kind of fill in the blanks for this visual representation of God's covenant love as represented through his son, Jesus. Mm. So the second question is, who's speaking? Is it the individual or is it God himself? The third question is, and we've already alluded to this, what is the relationship between the sign and the thing that's being signified? Uh, is it as neat and clean as saying, and by the way, I would, I would argue because I want to be just probably needlessly provocative and a little bit cranky. Um, (laughs) of course I think credo Baptists and Roman Catholics are similar in this regard and that you would both equate the sign with the thing that's signified.
1: Mm.
2: Now Roman Catholics would say the sign imparts the thing that is signified And at least, and I appreciate now the conversation has changed. We used to talk about believer's baptism, as though everybody that as a credo, and I I was a pastor in that tradition for 10 years, um, as though everyone that you baptized, you were certain had actually been born again. And I appreciate that at least now we're not talking about believer's baptism. We're talking about credo baptism, because we do seem to understand that uh, my ability to look into your heart and see what's really there is fairly limited.
1: And you're saying the difference there is that with by saying credo baptism, we're not saying we know 100% that this person is right. a believer, but that they are making a profession.
2: Right. On the of basis faith, of their yeah. profession of faith. Right. I'm not trying to look at 14-year-old Raven, for example, and go, you know, I know that Ravens has been born again. I can see evidences of that. I have ravens in confession, and if it's a child still in the home, I have what mom and dad are telling me. But if you look at, say, for example, uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares, there are tares that look a lot like wheat. Mm. And the punchline of that parable is, when are we going to know? When is the wheat going to be separated from the tares? Mm. Well, it's not till the very end. I think there's a pastorally wiser way to think about that question than to sit there and go, you know what, Andrew, I can look in your heart or I can look in Raven's heart and I can tell you what's there. Yeah. I don't know what's in the heart of human yeah. beings. It's either God, the father, God, the spirit or God, the son who knows what's in the heart. And so I appreciate when we're talking about credo baptism, we're at least saying, Hey, we're not going to call it believers baptism because we can't be entirely sure that that person is a believer. We simply say, well, is that individual made a credible profession of faith? Yeah. And what would people around them say? And uh, do they understand the basics of the gospel? And Mm -hmm. uh, do we see evidences of fruit in keeping with repentance in their lives? Let's
1: say somebody's you know, 24 years old. They convert to Christianity. They're saved. You would baptize them at that point. Yeah. In fact, we had a guy- Based on their profession. Yes. We had a guy
2: in our church who uh, grew up Jehovah's Witness. And so it was a really fun day in our church when we got to baptize them.
1: So what is the, the difference, I guess, between that, but then you would also baptize uh, a baby of a believing family? Could you just explain exactly then how you view baptism, not just for a person who professes faith, but for children?
2: Yeah. So back to those, those three questions we talked about. When you read the Bible as one continuous story, then you realize that when God makes a covenant with his people, there's always a sign that accompanies the covenant. So think about uh, when God makes the covenant with Noah that he's never going to flood the earth again. He gives a sign. The sign is not the thing signified, but it does remind us of God's covenant promises. Well, God makes a covenant with his people and says, hey, look, this is the sign that I'm your God and you're my people. In the Old Testament, that sign is circumcision. In the New Testament, that sign is baptism. And so the question, again, to be sort of uh, unduly provocative that I would ask as a paedobaptist baptist is, when did God tell us to stop applying the sign of the covenant to our children? If I read the Bible and go, well, but that was the Old Testament. And that's why I ask the question, do you view the Bible as being uh, fundamentally a story of continuity between the Old and New Testaments or even between the Old and the New Covenant? Or do you see it as being one of discontinuity? Because again, in the tradition I grew up in, that was just a nonsensical argument. Well, Mm -hmm. that's the Old Testament, right? But if I view the Bible as being a story of continuity, then the question of, well, hey, when did God give the command to stop applying the sign of the covenant to your children? It's not a nonsensical question. So uh, to your earlier question, this isn't just about cherry picking some texts from Acts that, by the way, both credo and paedo-baptist mm-hmm. point to, Yeah, right. Uh, but rather to understand that in this long story of God's redemptive history, there's always been a sign to go with the covenant and God has commanded his people to apply the covenant sign, not only to themselves, but also to their children. So then the question from a Paedobaptist baptist to a credo-baptist is, okay, so where's the New Testament text? That tells me to stop applying the sign of the covenant to my children.
1: Do you have a, an argument for where it says to continue that sign? Or are you saying just that that's just kind of the way that God works is the sign of the covenant is passed on to his people and their children. And that's just continued because there is no stop. Or is there New Testament text that you would go to to say this proves Peter's
2: speech of Pentecost? This promises for you and your children and for all who are far off.
1: And would that mimic like the
2: promise to Abraham in right, Genesis? Right. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have, you know, the Philippian jailer, he and his entire household are baptized. Now, and, and that's an argument I understand from silence because we don't know. Maybe the whole household sure. professed faith. Which is why both, both sides, right. both
1: viewpoints can argue that. Right. And, yeah. and
2: credo and credo baptists are like, well, they all profess faith. Well, the text doesn't say yeah, that. Right. The text also says it doesn't say that they didn't all profess faith. Yeah. So it's an argument from silence on either, but we do see an entire household on the basis of profession of faith of the head of the household receiving the sign of the covenant, yeah. if you would, in that regard. Um, so that's th- that's the biblical basis. It's it's not a it's not a proof text kind of argument. Mm-hmm. It's 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 fu- it's fundamentally it's it's a way to read the Bible uh, that I'll be honest, it's very different from the way I grew up reading yeah. the Bible. Mm-hmm.
1: I think for most credo-baptists, they would point to the new covenant being that, like new. And so it's a fulfillment right. of the old covenant, right? So the the sign of baptism changes. I think a lot of people could still say there's continuity, but the new covenant still is new. There's something different and full that's Correct. happening there. So this sign would be different. What would your response be if someone's arguing that the new covenant it's just a, a totally new thing? Because that's a little bit different than a baseline covenant theology that right. you hold to, right? So,
2: uh, yes and no. I okay. mean, my question again would be, well, where's the text that tells me to stop hmm. if that's the, because there is clearly a text that says, I mean, when Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew 28, we understand that the sign of the covenant has changed. It's now baptism
0: rather than circumcision.
2: Right. Right. So where's the text that says, why doesn't he go on and say, and oh yeah, that's only after hmm. you profess faith in me. Hmm. In light of a New Testament text that says, stop it, we're going to continue to, to baptize babies. Yep. And let me just say this. This was a really interesting thing. Several years ago, one of the Ligonier conferences, R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur were talking about pato baptism versus credo-baptism. One of the things that R.C. said I thought was really helpful and MacArthur agreed. He said, listen... If you came to faith in a, like a Bible-believing, Pedo baptist tradition, and those were the people that discipled you, and those are the people that loved you, and those are the people who both taught and showed Jesus to you, it's going to be really hard to accept a, a credo-baptist argument. Mm. And he said the same thing is true if you grew up in a credo-baptist church that did those things. So he talks about there are sort of heart arguments that are really as compelling as anything else. And I will say, I mean, I think if I had grown up in a tradition or in a church that was a little more uh, rigorous and a little less ridiculous in some things, I might not be a paedo-baptist. Mm. And if I hadn't served in a tradition that, um, you know, baptism was basically a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm. Like, I'm not following Jesus. I show no evidences of the new birth in my life. But darn it, Pastor, I was baptized when I was 12, and once saved, always saved. Mm. If I hadn't been in that kind of a tradition, you know, I I don't know. I mean, the Lord knows he's sovereign over that, but that argument resonated with me. So I think if, you know, for those of you who are at Providence and you're like, man, this is a great church and we're being taught the word and people are both teaching and modeling Jesus to us and we love our pastors. This is not a Presbyterian trying to argue you to the dark side of the force, (laughs) right? But let's let's appreciate, and I think this is important. I appreciate you asking the question in this way. That there, there is a biblical argument to be yeah. made on both sides. Mm-hmm. Now we disagree over those things, but I'm not sitting here going, you know, I don't, I don't think Andrew or Raven are really Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. they're they're not. Mm-hmm. But there are Pado Baptists and even some Credo Baptists who would go, eh, I don't know, yeah. yeah.
0: And that's what I think is beautiful, even being able to talk about this, because it does show that you guys have a mutual respect for one another. You're not questioning salvation, but you no. do have the ability to say we see the arguments biblically on both sides and discuss it, which yeah. I think is helpful. Even mm-hmm. for me, who I grew up in a family that we talked about credo baptism and I knew nothing about pedo baptism. And now my fiance is talking to me about how he was baptized as a baby and just having those discussions together, which I think is helpful to well, be able to and think I, through.
1: I think. So if if we're saying that baptism isn't like a a salvation issue, like you said, we're not debating on you know whether one of us is a Christian and one of us is not because we disagree on baptism. What is the the severity of getting this right, or what is the importance of the view of baptism? If it's not like tier one. This makes or breaks you as a Christian. Where right. does this land, and what what is the practical implications of if you land on one of these two sides?
2: Well, I think there are a couple things. I think number one, as we've already talked about, Jesus does command baptism. So at the very least, we would all say that baptism is a question of obedience to the Lord. I think the other question about it is how we view baptism does impact how we view the church. Mm. And I'd love to think that all the communing members at Grace Church have been born again. I don't know that. I'm sure to my great sadness and shock and disappointment and the fact that I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account, I'm sure there are folks in our congregation who aren't. Mm -hmm. Understanding that distinction between the visible and invisible church and one's view of baptism, those two things are, are very intimately related. So, again, we don't think that a baptizing a baby saves them, but we do think they are a part of the visible church. And we do think that when you are a part of the visible church, there are certain privileges and responsibilities that come with that. They're going to be taught the faith. They're going to be called upon to repent and believe. So, those things are great privileges, but they're also great responsibilities. And I think both the Roman Catholic side and some Credo Baptist traditions confuse the sign with the thing being signified simply because you've been baptized does not mean you are a christian the indwelling of the holy spirit means that you're a christian doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you've been sprinkled or dunked or poured upon or how whatever mode of baptism you want to choose whether you were an infant or whether you were you know 26 years old and have some great conversion story By the way, there's a danger, I think, in in either view, and the danger is that one looks to their baptism, and they're like, okay, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Right? I have have no need of following Jesus. I have no need of continually repenting and believing. I have no need to gather with God's people. Um, I was baptized. I'm good.
1: (laughs) What has been one of the most compelling arguments... For credo baptism for you, so obviously you don't hold to that yeah, primarily now. But, I, but just what has been like a compelling argument on
2: that side, you know, I'll I'll just say this: I, if I'm if I'm being just brutally honest, I don't think there is one. Um, but I will say this, and I I appreciate this, you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to be obedient to what Jesus commanded us, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, credo Baptists, I think do care about the purity and the peace of the church now i would argue i think in a lot of ways it's a kind of over realized expectation Uh, i think some of the things that we long that credo baptists long to see in a local church are not going to be seen until the new heavens and the new earth Mm -hmm. so i think we're hoping for things that we're not going to get until jesus returns so that's why i say again i'm not and i'm i'm not trying to be unduly provocative that's why I th- i think in some ways a Paedobaptist baptist view is is a l- it's a little less ambitious right because we look the church is a hot mess full stop yeah. like and it not call it what you want it's it's you know we're simultaneously saint and sinner and um Anytime human beings are involved, it gets really messy really fast.
1: What do you think is the main thing that uh, we would be missing out in our tradition on not baptizing infants? So in your view, what are we missing by not doing that to our children?
2: In the Presbyterian Reformed tradition, we understand that every visible church is made up of wheat and tares. So that does change, for example, then how we do governance. Uh, We're not. Strictly speaking, congregationally governed, because one of the arguments for congregational church government is, well, the Holy Spirit's going to lead and direct God's people mm. and all these people are regenerate. I pastored Southern Baptist churches for 10 years, man, don't don't kid a kidder, mm. right? There, No. The other thing is, and I think you see it about every 18 months or so on the Gospel Coalition website, some well-meaning Reformed or Calvinistic Baptists will write an article how should we think about our children? Do we view them as disciples? Do we view them as these little lost sinners who need to be saved? Can we talk about them being a part of the church? Like, what are we, what are we supposed to do with them? As someone that practices covenant baptism, that's not a conversation we have. These are children of the covenant, and we will call them to repentance and faith. We will teach them the faith. Until they tell us no, we will treat them as part of the visible church and then trust that God will use the ordinary means of grace and the Holy Spirit will do his, do his work and that one day they're going to stand before God's people and profess that the faith of their parents is now their own. I know you have young kids. Are you teaching your kids Bible stories? Yes. Are you catechizing them? Yes. Uh, did you do so before they made a public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. And there you go. See, you're you're really you really believe in covenant baptism, Andrew. You just don't know it. Well, I do think there's, there's something you
1: mentioned there. I think is honestly, it is a good thing for us to wrestle with. Of, we commonly will say things like, "Well, you know, we have this children's ministry, and they're all just a bunch of lost sinners that need to be evangelized to." And I think. You know, in, in some ways, the heart of that I get and I think is right that we want these kids to grow up and actually make a profession of faith, like you're saying. Right. Um, but there is something that almost feels a little bit off with that and just biblically how we see God treat his people and right. the, the covenant people of God. And, and like you said, yeah, I mean, I'm raising up my two boys, catechizing them, trying to get them to believe the faith and understand the, the elements and kind of building a worldview from scratch, essentially, rather than um, just purely thinking of it like in evangelism
2: Well, I, and one of the things that I think is really helpful, and I think we can all learn from even uh, our, our, from the Roman Catholic tradition and the Lutheran tradition, they took catechizing. Can you quickly
1: define catechizing just for people?
2: So catechizing is, uh, and and by the way, every tradition has it. Uh, it's a it's a formal series, usually in terms of question and answers. Um, so now, I think probably the most popular sort of modern rebranding of catechizing would be the new city catechism that's what i use yeah and by the way that's a great resource and would really encourage anybody to do it ours is older ours is about 400 years old it's uh we have the westminster larger and shorter catechism and so it starts with questions like who made you god what else did god make god made all things why did god make you in all things for his own glory Mm. so instead of just trying to get Again, I'll pick on Raven because I just met her and I don't know her. <laughs> Instead of trying to get 10-year-old Raven to pray the sinner's prayer in Sunday school, well, how about if we teach Raven about the God of the Bible mm. so that when she professes her love for Jesus, she actually knows who he is, mm. right? He's not just this dude who came and died on a cross as you know, as appealing or as shocking or as revolting as that might sound right. to people. But she's able to actually understand that, no, in Jesus Christ, all the promises of God find their yes and amen, Mm. because she actually knows some Bible. Uh, My my doctoral supervisor used to say that one of the reasons we need the Old Testament is that it makes first order ontological statements about the nature and character of God. So in English, (laughs) the Old Testament teaches us who God is. And when you read, for example, Isaiah 40 to 55, the the servant uh, songs in Isaiah, you see over and over again God saying to his people, I love you. You've turned your back on me. And I love you. And I love you so much. I'm going to send my servant. And he's going to suffer. And you know what? Through my servant's suffering, you're going to be redeemed. And then from 56 to the end of the book, you have this glorious picture of the new heavens and the new earth. So that isn't just that isn't just out of the wacky parts of Revelation. Like that's a whole Bible picture. Well, if we're not teaching our kids the faith, then Jesus just becomes this kind of 13th step in a 12-step program.
0: If I'm thinking about the way that Andrew raises his children, how is that? Maybe I'm just not... Understanding the connection quite as well as I probably should, but I'm thinking, okay, so baby dedication, which we see in a lot of churches. I know you're making a face. Um, we see that in a lot of different. Because at that
2: point, I'm just saying, just add a little water, man. <laughs> well, we don't do baby dedication. Just too. add a little water. There you go. Wait, we, we do don't.
1: parent commissionings. Oh, baby, there you see. So we, commi- mm. which is close, yeah, which is close. So Can you essentially, explain the difference? We are. Saying, oh, there's a huge difference. So we are not dedicating the baby to God, essentially, which is kind of what baby dedications are, is that we're, like, dedicating this child to God. What we're saying is, as a church, we're commissioning these parents to make disciples of these children, which is very close to Kyle's viewpoint, which is why he's smiling, (laughs) which we see as a biblical thing. We just wouldn't understand that to be the purpose of baptism within the new covenant. But we still see – but I think, yeah, what's important is to see the heart there that God has given these parents – these children within the, the community of faith to be raised as disciples. You're so close, baby. And so You're so, so close.
0: Well, so. I think that's why I get confused because I think, okay, they are so closely aligned, but we don't see that as a sign of baptism in the new covenant. Why?
1: No, because we would see the, the sign of baptism to be <laughs> <laughs> Kyle. So excited. <laughs>
2: That he thinks he's convinced Raven.
0: <laughs> he's dancing over here.
2: Because we would just see it. No, not I'm as I'm moving rhythmically because <laughs> Presbyterians don't dance.
1: As the <laughs> I can't even remember coming <laughs> Okay, so
0: why would we not see it as that, ba- or why would we say then if those are so closely aligned, we do parent commissioning yeah, why do we not see baptism as Because
1: we we see parent commissioning as kind of what Kyle's talking about with the continuity. We still see that in in part, but we would say the new covenant not only did it change the sign of baptism, but it changed the the like purpose of it in that we would say it is for the new covenant people of God, which is where Kyle has talked a little bit about maybe an over-realized expectation of what the church is in that we're trying to say that the church really is made up of people who have a profession of faith, not just the profession of faith and their children. So we use baptism for that, seeing that as the new covenant sign. But we do also see that – I don't think we want to just see children as these lost sinners that happen to be around. These little pagans who need Jesus. But that God has given those children to believing parents to make disciples of them, which is why we as a church commission Mm, parents for their God-given mission to raise these children up in the way that they should go. When I was
2: matriculating at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, they would – Talk about it in this way. When you look at the great commission and particularly you look at Matthew 28, 19, it's go. Therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Mm-hmm. So they would argue that discipleship, um, precedes baptism. Mm. So until one is a disciple, one ought not be baptized now where, and this is where we would, we would differ. We would say, well, uh, Andrew's boys are going to be raised as disciples because his parents are believers and they understand that, oh, yeah, in the Old Testament, God tells his people to raise and train up their children in the way in which they which should go. So it's, we're saying, yes, baptism is, is the sign of the beginning of a life of discipleship. And we hope that we are discipling them to the point that then they are going to profess their parents' faith as their own. But even if they don't, those believing parents still have an obligation to teach their children the faith. Mm -hmm. Your kid may never profess faith in the Lord Jesus. But if you're a believing parent, it doesn't remove the responsibility that you have to raise and train your children in the way of the Lord.
1: And again, we would almost say the identical thing, the par- that's the responsibility of the parents to raise them up. And when they do make a profession of faith and they enter that's into when the you new covenant, them. Yeah. That's the that's when the sign is administered for a yeah. professing believer. So we're like, the whole vision there is the same. It's just where we see the sign coming in right. is slightly different.
2: Right. You know, we can, we can have this conversation. It can be spirited. But at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not questioning what uh, Jared or Andrew are doing. Uh, You guys are brothers. We're grateful for you all. And we're thankful for you. We love you. We don't think we're on opposite teams. We think we're on the same team. We're just in different traditions.
0: Well, thank you, Kyle, for joining us. And thank you all for joining us today, too. The goal of the Christian Formation podcast is to help you live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. If you want to find out more about us, you can check us out at providenceomaha.org. And if you have any podcast topics, comments, or questions, please email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.